With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. It's now time for our interview specials. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of football. Sit back and listen up. It's time for the main event with the Phoenix Five and a 90s football icon. On this week's show, we have Robbie Musto. Ladies and gentlemen, sit back and enjoy the show. You can't win anything with kids. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. How much are the players looking forward to Arsene Wenger arriving? <laughs> Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Phoenix Five and this week we've been lucky enough to be joined by Robbie Musto. Robbie started his career at Oxford United playing close to 100 games before being signed by Colin Todd at Middlesbrough. He became a regular there and played in three cup finals for Middlesbrough. He later then went on to move at a stint for Charlton before ending his career at Sheffield Wednesday. Now you can find Robbie working on NBC on their version of Sky Sports or a BT Studio live game or catch him on his own podcast with the two Robbies with Robbie Earl. Uh, Robbie Musto, thank you very much for coming in. Really appreciate it. How are you? I'm bloody good. I'm really good. Thank you very much. Yeah, nice to, to meet you and everybody else. And uh, yeah, it's a nice intro. Thank you very much. <laughs> I've got David Holland with me. How are you doing, Dave? You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks again, Robbie, for coming on. Appreciate it. No problem. And I've got Lee Harper as well today. Uh, nice to meet you, Robbie. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Lee. No worries, mate. So we'll start at the beginning. Um how did you come to play through Oxford United? Oh, uh, God, that is starting at the beginning. Um, <laughs> so my, uh, wow. So I lived I lived half an hour away from the manor ground in Oxford. So I grew up, I, I guess I fell in love with football going to the manor ground of all places. My brother, four years older than me, started to take me to the games uh, in the, I guess, early 80s, mid 80s. Um, yeah, early 80s, when Oxford United actually got were, were a good team and they ended up being in the first division. But I, that's where I kind of fell in love with the game. I remember walking up Beach Road, up the terraces, and I popped my little head over the top there, and I saw this green carpet with these big guys pinging the ball to each other, and I'm like, wow. So that's, you know, that's where I kind of got started. So I was a fan of Oxford United for a few years, and then, of course, my, my football developed. Um, I improved. I was kind of a late developer in that regard. I played for a local team called Whitney Town Youth Team. Um, and we had a game against Oxford United Youth Team as like a trial for a couple of us. And they want, they liked me and I went for trials and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I ended up playing for them. Yeah. So that was my first pro club. Um, again, half an hour from where I grew up. I was actually born in Oxford. So that was, that was pretty special. And I, and my first season was in the, was in the old first division. We were, you know, I played with, um, oh, it was it John Aldridge and Ray Houghton and Trevor Hebbard. And I mean, it was a good, it was a good team, some good midfield players. I learned a lot about midfield play just in that team with Kevin Brock. And I think John Truitt was there and Ray Houghton and just clever midfield. Les Phillips was a really, really good player, but got injured. 
Um, so yeah, so Oxford United, that's where it started for me. I was there, as you said, four years, and then I got the move, got the phone call to go to Middlesbrough, where I had no idea where it was, by the way, in Middlesbrough. I, I thought Middlesbrough was in the middle of the country, you know, crazily. <laughs> um, but no, so that's that's Oxford, and yeah, that's where it all started. And I, I miss that place. I mean, the Manor Ground sadly now is, I think it's housing estate. Yeah. Um, but wow, I had some good nights watching the team. I went to Wembley to watch them win the Milk Cup in 85. And then I signed a pro contract the year after. So that's how much I was into it as a, as a young kid. And then to play for them was was marvellous. Great. Did you yeah, come to, to, uh, to be against my team, I think, Robbie, uh, against Queen's Park Rangers? We won 3-0. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry yeah. about that. It was Jim Smith, wasn't it? Jim Smith then left Oxford to go to QPR and we had Morris Evans take over. And, what yeah, was it like yeah. going through the YTS system at Oxford at the time then? Well, interesting, Paul, because I didn't. I didn't go through the YTS system. So I, I, like I said, I was a late developer. So I played for Whitney Town Youth Team and I went to college. So I finished high school at Burford School, just on the edge of the Cotswolds there, the other side, West Oxfordshire. Um and I get, yeah, I guess I was spotted and I started playing in the Oxford youth team whilst I was at West Oxford uh, Technical College doing a, a computer diploma and A-level in economics. So I, I did that. I finished those two years study and played in the youth team. And it was funny because I go to my my career counsellor at the college and they say, OK, you know, computer programming or what are you going to do? And I said, well, actually, I'm going to be a professional footballer. I'm going to go and sign for Oxford United. So I kind of but I wanted to finish off that study. And I did. So I, I wasn't a YTS. And, and luckily, you know, the Oxford youth team that had, was full of YTS, they were, they, I guess they were okay with me because I, I got in the team at there and I, and I was pretty good. I was, I don't know, they could have given me a lot of stick, you know, well, you've never cleaned the services, you've never cleaned the toilets and done all this and painted this and everything else. So I guess I got lucky with that, not having to do the YTS stuff. Um, I got a bit of an education that I signed as a pro when I was just, I think, nearly 18 years of age, yeah. So when I finished the, the two years of college. Wow. I mean, Lee, you was told at school uh, to go and do something, and then you end up saying you're going to be a footballer. Is that right? Did you tell the teachers? <laughs> how, how did that pan out? Yeah, well, yeah, I did. I was pretty good at school, probably. Um, I was, yeah, one of, the, one of the better ones in our year. But um, yeah. just basically, yeah, I, I just never got a break, really. It was pretty hard, like, getting to trials and stuff like that. Yeah. And... It just never came around. So, unfortunately, I did have a lot of amateur football. Um, I ended up representing, like, um, there was, like, AFA and AFC uh, rep sides, which, which I went on to play in. But mm. that was about, we played, that was about as far as I, I made in my career. Um, mm. But, yeah, I would I would have liked to, well, obviously, you kind of went the other way, didn't go through the YTS, but I would have liked yeah. to have gone that way. Yeah. But... It's so funny, right? Because Lee, like you talk about breaks, right? I, the game. So the manager of the Whitney youth team thought there was me and another kid called Chris Panther that were pretty good. And they contacted Oxford United to organize a game for, so they could look at us. Now, if they didn't do that, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's those little bits of fortune or kindness from those guys and everything that I do now and what I've done before. I mean, it does go back to. There's actually a funny, funny, um, the guy of the, the Whitney Town Reserves was a guy called, oh, what was his name? Drinkwater. Pete, no, Pete, Pete Bridgewater. And the Whitney Town youth team manager was the craziest name I've ever heard, by the way. His, his name was Simon Gotobed. Amazing name. Amazing <laughs> last name. I mean, can you believe that? Simon Gotobed. But Simon Gotobed really was, was a big part of me becoming a footballer. Um, but yeah, those little breaks, those little bits of luck. You've got to get and you've got to grasp them, of course, and you've got to yeah, take yeah. advantage of it. And that's what I've done pretty well in all bits of my career and my life, really, of taking opportunities and, and giving it 100 percent and and being relatively successful. Agreed. What was it like playing under Colin Todd when, when you hey, obviously he must have you said the question was going to be how did you how did Colin Todd come to find you? But obviously yeah. you yeah. answered that question, which is great. How did you find moving? Because the 375 grand at the time is quite a mm. A sizable chunk. The, the transfer mm. record fee that year was nine 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 five. So it wasn't a massive okay. difference between what you went for from a, from a lower league club in Oxford into you know Middlesbrough. And how was how was Colin Todd as a, as a manager? He was great. He was really good. I mean, I I think there's something special when a manager you know wants you. And I I drove up halfway to meet him and and go through. I had no agent. I just met him and he talked a little bit about money. And I'm like, yeah, sounds good. But he was a uh, yeah, he was, a, he was a kind of a quietly spoken guy. Um, but it, sadly, you know, we had one season with him. I think we got to the, we got to the 
playoff. The first division, well, the championship or whatever it was then, the playoff. Yep. And we lost to Notts County. And he got fired. Really harsh, I thought. Really harsh. But he was very good. He signed. I signed at the same time as, as John Hendry, who had a good career. He was a really good player at Middlesbrough. Um, was at Newcastle and Leeds, I think, before that. And John Walk, remember Walkie from Liverpool, yeah. Switch and stuff like that. So they were they were great guys. It was a good we had a good team there. But he got yeah he got um, he got fired after one season. Of course, at that point we were at Ayrson Park, um, and Lenny Lawrence came after him. And his first season, we did get promoted into the inaugural season of the Premier League um, in '92, which we weren't really ready for that. Um, and we got ready to get it straight away. But it's kind of funny. It was never a dull moment in Middlesbrough. I was there for 12 years. There was never a dull moment. Of course, Lenny Lawrence promoted, relegated, a crappy season. And then Brian Robson walked in the door with Steve Gibson, the, the chairman, taking over the ownership of the club. And then everything went a bit crazy, which is great. Holland, is it... A- no, I was going to more talking about the transition of changing stadiums, going from Essen Park to yeah. Riverside. How was that? Because... As an Arsenal fan, I remember going to Highbury as a kid, and I loved Highbury. And obviously, the Emirates is great, but it's it just it's just not the same. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I um I love playing at Highbury, one of my favourite places. I mean, of all the stupid things, I mean, you know about the marble, you know, the, the hallway and the the heated floor in the dressing room was like it's it's kind of st- but like players loved it. it. It's just like it's novelty. Highbury was so tight, so compact. God, I played some brilliant games there. I played against some brilliant players. I played in Dennis Bergkamp's first Premier League game. Because I think we were in the Premier League then. It was Middlesbrough at home. And Brian Robson told me, let him know what English football is all about and, and get <laughs> and, and give him. And That's I tried because I was I was in the middle of the park. Of course, he's always he's always in, in my bloody shoulder because he's playing as number 10. I'm looking around for more time. And I, I got a few tackles in. And I remember thinking, yeah, I, I, I thought I helped keep him quiet that day. Of course, went on to be an unbelievable player. Well, that was a cool story. That was a, that was a hybrid. Um, going back to the question, a little bit different. I'll tell you what was a little bit different because, I mean, Edison Park, everybody loved it, of course, and, and that's kind of got – I have special memories there making my debut for Middlesbrough, much bigger club than Oxford. Big, you know, and it was a reasonable fee, a little bit of pressure. Um, but the difference was is that we we went from the from Edison Park in the championship. We got, we got promoted. So we knew the new stadium was getting built and Brian Robson was our manager – at Ayrson Park. So there was so much excitement about promotion. Brian Robson, uh, you know, the players that were going to come in, which we, we obviously saw them coming afterwards. So going from Ayrson Park would have been, well, was difficult for many fans, but going into a new stadium, promoted into back into the Premier League with Brian Robson as your manager and Steve Gibson, who was going to invest a lot of money. So it was different. It was a, there was a big sense of excitement. And I think, you know, going from, your situation at Arsenal is maybe a little different. We had the bonus of, of promoted a promotion and what that meant in that new stadium. Um, so everybody was excited. Everybody's excited. And uh, wow, I mean, I'll tell you something else. I don't know whether you know this. That will be impressive if you got them on this on your, on your uh, research. But the first game at the Riverside Stadium was obviously the Premier League, we got promoted, but the first few games were away from home because the stadium wasn't ready. But the stadium was ready for the first home game against Chelsea. So stadium opener, big game. We won, we beat Chelsea 2-0. And that night I went for a, I went for a, for a beer with my playing buddy, Jamie Pollock, who was, a, who was really underestimated, by the way, Jamie Pollock, was a really good player. Um, I went for our girlfriends and my wife, pregnant wife, and we, we had a couple of beers and my wife says, oh, something's happening here. Get me to the hospital. So anyway, I, I, I promise you, an hour later, my first boy, my first son was born at North Tees in Stockton. So that day, August 25th, 1995, is a pre- 26th, sorry, is a pretty special day. Open the Riverside Stadium. The, the birth of my my first child. I mean, that was, they don't get much better than that in terms of days. Oh, no. No. Good performance. Good. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. I did. I did have that on my research because I read an interview you did with the Gazette oh, did seven years ago. So that was one of my questions. But you've done it for me. So even better. Um, <laughs> Robbie, Robbie, can I just ask? Yeah. Did you not think to put Riverside in as a middle name, or, uh, <laughs> or, did, or did your wife think oh, you're not having that? That's a really good question. Riverside. So his name's Elliot, right? So Elliot Riverside Musto. Sounds great. <laughs> Missed a trick there, I think. I'll I, I speak to Caroline about that. That's a great <laughs> shout. You said obviously Robson came in. I mean, obviously at the time, 
on other po- we've done sort of different podcasts with, about the culture of English football at the time, the drinking culture, mm. you know, mm. going out twice or three times a week. And Rob's a, is, a, is a great example of that kind of kind of manager at the time who had the drinking culture. And the, not just drinking culture, mm. I hate to use just that because it's a team spirit as well. It was a team building. Yeah. is what was accepted. is what was done back then. So obviously it's different now. How did you find Robson as a manager? Tactically, in training, just the style he had, the team bonding? Well, so, uh, gosh, I mean, first of all, him walking through the door at Ayrson Park, we, we, we weren't sure he was going to be the guy walking through the door. And when he walked in, it was a little bit like, wow, because as a central midfield player, you know, I grew up and I... Was I he not player him. manager, Robbie, to begin with? Sorry. To... Sorry? Was he not player manager to begin with? He was. He was player yeah. manager at Ayrson Park, yeah. And, and actually, I, I, I got bumped out the side for him uh, initially. And I got to say, his... his um, training, uh, what's the word? Habits were incredible. I, I learned more from Brian Robson by watching him train and play than anything he said. Really, I mean, he 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 was a different animal, a different human being, out on the pitch or 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 in a match. Different, different human being. You, you know, meetings and stuff, or pre-game meetings and stuff, where he's up in his suit and he's on tactics board and all that. He, 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 he just didn't come across as the same. I, I don't know. I, I guess it's it's less natural for him to do that. But yeah. on the field, I mean, wow. I mean, God, talk about, I mean, just a complete footballer, really. Like tenacious, driven, a leader. Oh, my goodness. So I, that was you, special. You coming towards the end of his career as well. You'd yeah. probably say, well, you can imagine maybe 10 years Prior to oh. how good a player he actually was, yeah. Yeah, and I played against him uh, when he was at Man United. Again, a little bit older in the cup, in the in the Rumbelows Cup or something. We got to semi final with Jamie Pollock, and he put in a few tackles. I think it was him and Ince was it in midfield. Um, but yeah, just the strength of him. And and one of his first games, you know, he went in for a crazy challenge with a goalkeeper from a set piece of corner. He flew in, and the goalkeeper smashed him. And Robson split all his split all his eye, but here blood. I mean, talk about a flipping brave lion of a guy. So th- th- that's the background. Which some of that, I guess you already know. But in terms of playing for him, I mean, I would have run through a brick door for him, you know, just 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 of who he was. And it's the same with the whole squad. People that came in, Neil Cox, Alan Miller. I'm reading a really good book, actually, by the way. It's called The Little Fella, about Janino. It's a, it's a book. And I, I spoke to David Broom, the author. I've just started it. Really, really good. And it just brings back memories of the players that we had at that point. Um, but Brian Robson, yeah, I mean, I, 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 if I'm honest, I would say his coaching side of it, the tactical side of it, not great, not not great. I mean, I, I, and I and I generally tell people of my 18 years in the game, not. I mean, I, I'm that type to be technical, and I think about it a lot. I guess that's what I maybe that's why I'm an analyst now for to doing it, but. I was never really, I mean, I had, um, Steve McLaren was very good training wise. He was later, um, but his 11 v 11 tactical stuff was just okay. The best, the best person I worked with is Terry Venables. And I don't know whether I'm jumping forward a little bit here, some of this stuff, but Terry Venables came in to say, to rescue us one season when we were at the bottom, bottom of the league. Uh, you know, our coaching staff just couldn't get it done with us and blamed us a lot. Venables came in and coached us without raising his voice once. He coached us from was it December time? Just coached us out of trouble, just by just by you go there, you do that. I mean, it was it was brilliant. So Terry Venables was by far the best coach that I worked with, um, and Robson, Robson, unfortunately, after that, lost his job because the fans were like, "Well, hang on a minute, it's the same squad, and you, they were bottom of the league with you, and somebody else has come in." So that was, I guess, he sacrificed himself in some ways to allow Rob's, uh, Venables to come in and, and take over. The well, there was a the dual manager side. at the time, wasn't there? They became like, is it a dual-ish? It wasn't well, a- that was the that was the thing, Paul. Um, but, I mean, but you can't have that, can you? you? Can't have a dual manager, really. It's it's and they're know, two one person. Yeah, one person was calling the shots tactically, and it was Terry Venables. But but that's probably why the the owner and Robbo, you know, were okay with him coming in. But he really did uh, coach us out of that situation, and. Um, yeah. So, but but going back to Brian Robson, yeah, that that, that was the main. I just as a person, and, and, and you know, and there was we had some great trips, and we went to Dublin, and with Gaza was at the club, and we've had some fun times and different tours and stuff. So, all of 
you know the whole you talk about Brian Robson there's a lot it's, it's a com, it's a it's a complex type of analysis of, of how he was as a manager and tactical not amazing but there's so much other stuff that he brought to the club that got the best out of the team you know I can't think of any time for example where there was any fallouts or any dressing room disquiet because it, it, I don't know because it was him and everybody wanted to play everyone wanted to impress him and, and getting his team. So that side of it, when you think about what's going on now and different players and clicks and fallouts, there was none of that under Brian Robson. Okay, but that's something that we mentioned in the last one. We've done um, like characters of the game and hard men of the game. And that was one of the things that came up in terms of the team bonding and spirit. Now it's, it didn't used to be, there was always, always certain clicks. So the drinking people would go out on a Tuesday mm. or Wednesday, but generally the, as a squad, everyone kind of got on. Now it's, they kind of go into training either go home or go on the computer games and they're playing with their mates on the computer games. It's such what I would say, Paul, what I would say quickly before you move on is um, this is the time when a lot of foreign players come into English football. I think Janinho was the first, if not the yep. first, the second Brazilian to, to play in the Premier League, to, to sign for the Premier League. And we went from you know, Nigel Pearson, Steve Vickers, Curtis Flemings, uh, Chris Morris, Derek White, you know, Jamie Pollock, Nicky Moen, you know, Brits with a brilliant spirit and probably more drinking and fun times to an evolution of, oh, foreign players, Janino and, and then later Ravanelli and Gianluca Festa, uh, Christian Ziga, got so many foreign players that were different and like that they're, they're not doing the, they're not, the drinking side of it is starting to go out of the game. Um, so team spirit, I probably would say it wasn't as fun because it's great cracking it going out with the lads and having a few beers and and then training the next day so that that there was a very much a transition between kind of old school and new school if you like from when i first started at oxford united we'd have fish and chips and budweiser beers in the back of the bus on the way home to a chef at middlesbrough and, and pasta and everything else and 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 that's kind of how it changed and lucas a drinks and all these energy gels and all that stuff so i guess over my 18 years a lot changed um with with how you know players and squads and team spirits and and recovery training and all that stuff. Harper, I, I go I go to you. Yeah, so Robbie, um, obviously like you were the first team regular and that was fully justified. You were placing the team with the mm. new like imports such as like who you just mentioned, Janino, Emerson, Ravinelli, mm. uh, Mikel Beck was there. Uh, just a few names to mention. Mm. What was the dressing room like with those guys? Uh, well, gosh, everybody's different, isn't it? Um, I'll tell you what was interesting though. You just, you put a few names in there. I can add to that Paul Merson, uh, Paul Ince, Andy Townsend, Gareth Southgate. I mean, it was, it was fascinating mixing training and playing with internationals. And for me, that wasn't, I guess at the level to be an England international, it was still really interesting to train with them and play with them. And for the most part, I mean, Christian Caribou came, apart from Emerson and, and Ravanelli and Alan Boxic was an unbelievable player. I mean, yeah. wow, there's, there's a lot of great players that I played with. But for the most part, and I'm thinking of Paul Ince, obviously Brian Robson, there's a class about them that you you recognise and you're like, wow. You know, Ince, you know, I could I could get a ball and I could ping the ball as, 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 as good as Ince or, or any of them, mostly. But then see then would get up his left foot and he'd do the same with his left foot. He'd ping it across here and he'd spot a ball in there. And he, I mean, Incy was, was even though he's a little older and I used to moan at him because I used to have to do all his blimmin' running, tracking his runners because he didn't really want to do that, which happened a lot, by the way, with Emerson and a few others. Anyway, um, but it was it was really great. I mean, Paul Gascoigne again, my goodness, we could have a separate podcast about Gaza. Um, Who did you enjoy uh, playing with the most? Well, out of the I'm like talking about say the '96, '97, '98 era. Like, who did you enjoy playing with the most in, in those squads? Sorry, um, uh, Robert, your role changed as well at that time because yeah. you're more of a box to box midfielder. Midfield, but I would Start say with. '96, '97, or maybe maybe just like before, but you became more of yeah. a, uh, a not a holding midfielder, but you would sit back and go, "Well, I'll give the ball to Janini or, or Ince." Well, that's right. Yeah. So that's, that's, that, well, that's, I had to, didn't I? I had to. And I think I think if there's one thing, if there's one key word, or I remember speaking to somebody about doing keynote speeches and you've got to have a word to to kind of what would be my key word at the front of my career talk, it would be adaptability. That that's that's me. And I think it's a it, if everybody can be adaptable, 
you're going to do okay. So yeah, I was box to box. I got goals. I scored quite a few goals this year. I went to Middlesbrough and I got a few goals for Oxford. But when you sign in uh, Nick Barnby and Janino and all these different midfield players, Gazza and others, Merson and and like someone's got to do the defensive side of it. So I'm thinking, well, Janino's better than me. That so is probably Nick Barnby, and and so is he, and so is he. So I became, I focused my game on the defensive side of it, reading that, reading passes, and, and my biggest attribute was my engine. I could run up and down all day. I used to win the bleep test, you know, as that sort of guy. So by running, using that energy in defensive situations was how I stayed with it. It's how I stayed with Middlesbrough over those years of of, of bringing in all these players and you know. I kind of played. I didn't have much time on the sideline. I ended up being quite an important player through the, the cup runs and played in the cup finals and all that. So that was was important for me to stay in the team and stay with those players. Back to the question. It's interesting because I played with a ton of Andy Townsend, you know, all these midfield players. I enjoyed Jamie Pollock because when me and Jamie Pollock played, we were both young. We had, we had everything to prove. Nobody knew us too much. And that first season, the Premier League with Robson, before Janino came, the first season back, which was 95, uh, I did not enjoy that. Me and Jamie getting getting amongst people and, and, and like surprising a few and him and us looking at each other and with, with all that spirit and determination, I probably enjoyed that as much as playing with the, with the, with the, the star players that didn't mm. quite have as the same commitment, really. Uh, more ability. So, uh, you know, that, that's what I say for midfield players. Now, Gascoigne was different. And I'll I'll just tell you a couple of things, if I could, about Gazza, what I enjoyed. I mean, <laughs> yeah, obviously what we, we didn't get, we didn't get Gazza and may, maybe a few clubs didn't get him at his very best. He, of course, had all these mental problems and issues that was very uh, evident when he was with us at Middlesbrough for a couple of years, was it maybe? Um just a couple of things I say about Gaza. Uh, when he came into training, when he wasn't hungover or sleeping pills or, or some kind of rough night or whatever his issues were, which were many, and that's a real sad part of him, when he came in and was feeling good, when he trained when he was feeling good, he was different level. Different level to anybody else that I ever trained with so that's everybody that's Janino it's everybody because you know that ability that he had natural talent raw ability was better than everybody else just was I played a practice I remember playing a practice game against Gaza so a midfield player so we're looking you know I'm right against him and he did some things in that practice match where I'm like I, I don't know how he's seen that there's one time in midfield he's got the ball and as a midfield player you know you, you have a little look around to see what he's looking at to see if you can read what his intentions might be. So I have a look around the strikers and stuff there. And so I then think, well, there's not much on. Nobody's on there. These tight, one striker's tightly marked. I go and close him down, not too far, because I know he can he can do a step over and he can beat me. So I give him a little bit of space. And he he, he moves the ball to his right. So I go and I think, well, there's no, nobody there. I go and block it. He flips the ball back inside. He hits this long uh, high ball with his left foot over the top of our centre-backs and the left winger, the team that he was playing with, I guess, had started to make a run. He saw it and he played this ball in behind. And Alan Armstrong, it was, who ran in behind and scored our defenders. And I'm like, there was nothing on. There was nothing on because I scanned the whole thing. So just in that motion, I'm like, I can do that. I, I, ain't, I, can't, I can't find that ball. I can't fake one side onto my weaker foot and play this perfect ball in for a strike for a winger to go in and score. He was... Drag back skill with both feet. I mean, just natural talent. Gaza was was the best. Um, sadly, Liverpool, the Middlesbrough fans won't, you know, they won't agree with that because they didn't see the best of him. But I'm yeah. just telling you, in in terms of yeah. raw ability, when he was in a good state, which wasn't many days, uh, he was superb. Do you think he was mismanaged because he got to the stage then was like, why? Well, it's, it's Gaza. Which is impossible, Paul. Impossible. Impossible to manage him. I think. I mean, what do you do? You got to. It's 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 handling his addictions, and a football manager is not the best guy probably to do that. You know, I know Gazza went to different places to try and help him. He roomed with Andy Townsend, uh, and and there's funny stories on the back of Andy Townsend rooming with him in in this this like this haunted house up in Seaham where they got up to some pranks, and Gazza was Gazza and 
I mean, it's just, you know, I, I think I think the first night, Andy Townsend stayed with Gazza and, he, 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 you know, because I think Robbo wanted him to, to try and keep an eye on him a little bit. And uh, so the next morning, the first morning, uh, Andy Townsend wakes up and thinks, go downstairs, get some, uh, get some breakfast, opens a, this huge fridge. And instead of finding milk and butter and eggs and cheese and stuff, it's just packed with the red bulls, just cans of red bull. Like you couldn't, there's no space in it. Like, wow, all this bloody red bull. So, I mean, I think as a, I mean, wow. I, you know, it, it's, um, it, I mean, there's so many stories about Gaza Drive, driving our team bus and smashing it up. You know, the first, I think it was a day we might have played Arsenal. We're going down to London for the first game of the season. We have this huge new um, bus, a very expensive bus that was bought in. And um, he ended up saying, come on, guys, let's, do you want to put a bet on? Let's go down to the bookmakers in Hurworth where the training ground was. And about four or five guys jumped on the bus. By the way, he had to steal the keys from the bus driver who was up in the who was up in the canteen getting some getting a cup of tea. So he found the keys and he took them away from him. And anyway, so Gaza takes the bus out down this long country lane, and there's a brick wall like an entrance situation. Um, and of course, he's never driven a bus before. He's like that, turning turning <laughs> in out of the train, <laughs> and the and the whole bus scrapes and bangs across this brick wall and does a ton of damage. And then they go back in the training ground. We have to get a different bus. And Gaza, I think, was fined, I think, £12,000 for the damage that he'd done to the, the team bus, the brand new bus that we had for the first game of the season. So, oh, yeah, never ending. I mean, it was fun to be with. And it, it, it's, you know, he's a, uh, again, I just give you one more before I be quiet about it a little bit. It was my testimonial that year. So it's 2000, 10 years from 1990 to 2000. And that summer was the summer that, that Glenn Hoddle, left out Gaza for the World Cup and and Gaza uh, they they're, they're, Gaza had made these or a company had made these one-armed bandits with Gaza like for the World Cup and you know on it was all Gaza like if you've got three sevens Gaza would be on there crying and tears would be jumping out and all this kind of stuff anyway because he because he wasn't going he didn't end up going um, there was four pro, four prototypes made and he donated two to my testimonial just to give for my testimonial dinner, Swartzman's dinner. And that summer he was obsessed with helping me. So he'd phone me. There were some days in the summer where I'm like, I pick the phone up and he says, Gazzari, I've, I've spoke to David Beckham. He's gonna do a he's gonna do a signed shirt for your for your dinner um, with a United number seven. Oh Gazza, brilliant. Thanks, mate. That's marvelous. Put the phone down. It's again, Gazza, oh, oh yeah. Said so I've just spoke to oh, is it was it Michael Owen? I mean, he spent, he got shirts from Inter Milan, Lazio. Uh, just to try and help me. So he was obsessed with helping me. His putter from his golf, I think England, when you go off with England, they, he went to a golfing thing and he got a whole new set of golf clubs with England stuff on it. He gave me the putter from his golf set to again to auction. Um, so yeah, I, I've got nothing but love for Gazza and the way he helped me and uh, the way he was as a player when he was, you know, when he was in good shape. Well, you had Merson as well, quite... Similar in terms of character. Oh, God, okay. oh blind me. I mean, um, I mean, not many people play with both of them. So, what, yeah. How, how was Merson? Oh, crikey. So, Merson was difficult. It was difficult. He was with us when, after the 97 season, where we get two cup finals, losing both and get relegated, Merson was there, signed. And so, a couple of things with Merson. I mean, again, somebody we know about has got all the, he's got all his addictions, issues, and stuff like that. And I think he was right in the middle of, of some marriage issues, some gambling issues. Um, and two things on Merson. First of all, what a terrible trainer. I get, again, I think it's linked to his, his issues. So he'd come in, he'd get the train from London to, to Darlington or whatever. So he, he didn't live at that time. And he was, I guess, really stressed. But he, it was a nightmare to train with. Terrible attitude, kicked balls away. Didn't try a leg in training, bad attitude, told the manager to get lost, Brian Robson. And I was like, I couldn't believe how he was. Awful. But on Saturdays, he was brilliant. He was brilliant for us. And he was the main reason we got promoted. Back to the Premier League was Merson. Just, again, what a talented guy. And more so than I thought with playing against him for Arsenal and, and you see him on TV and you kind of think, and this is the whole difference of levels in the game where I don't think fans understand the level when you play at an Arsenal and all that. Um, 
But he came and he was full of ability, full of talent, full of cleverness, awareness, clever balls. The outside of his right foot was like a wand. He could flick it. I remember he set up a beautiful goal for me. I scored at Sunderland where Merson first time ball over somebody's head. He was a talent, a real talent. Um, so that justified everything else, really, because he scored, he created. He's one of them where he must have been involved in like 75% of the games, the goals that we scored that season. So brilliant, brilliant for us on the field. But wow, nightmare, nightmare trainer. Did you, did you not, as a, as a not a, you know, but you're a borough fat, a fat, you are embedded in what borough are. Yeah. In, didn't that not just really frustrate you? Then they're just like, what are you doing? Like you're getting paid a fortune to be here. I know you said on a Saturday you turns up, but you still got mm. to turn up and do your job the other five days or four days that you're training. Did you not just yeah. think, you know, I'm getting paid a fortune. Just do the, what you're, the minimum you've got to do is come and train and be professional. You know, yeah, what was that like? Well, it, it, it was, it or is it all about it was, Saturday? Is it, as long as they turn up on Saturday, I don't know. It wasn't all about Saturday. That was the main part of it. I mean, I think we all put up with his behaviour. I mean, I, I was somebody that trained really well. Um, and, and I did get frustrated. I got frustrated with the manager a little bit because I thought that he was allowing him that behaviour a little bit, particularly some of the things he said back to Robson, I couldn't believe. Um, but I guess Robson thought he's doing it on a Saturday. I'm not going to make a big deal of it. And he spoke to him and he tried to calm him down. He tried to get him on side. Um but yeah, I, I I don't remember the the lads in general having a big issue with it. It, it because he was a good lad as well, good in the dressing room, funny guy, um, and a good player. So he had the respect of the squad, and it wasn't an issue that you think it might have been. A few years ago, I was playing Sunday league football. That's that's about a level I could get to. But on the other pitch, Paul Merson was playing. He plays in his son's Sunday league team, and uh, obviously we've all clocked into so our game's finished, and they're still on. So we went and watched him. And he didn't run at all. He didn't need to. No. All country's feet, and he could ping it all over the yeah. pitch. No problem. And honestly, he never even jogged. It was unbelievable. Yeah. It was brilliant to watch. <laughs> like, I mean, like, it was, yeah, like the talent yeah. of him was, yeah. un was unbelievable. Yeah, he could just, he, like I say, he didn't have to do anything. He just all feet, and he could pick a pass anywhere. It was amazing. Got quick, you played in three cup finals for Borough. That's correct, yeah. Yeah. What was it like? Obviously, us growing up as young boys, FA Cup final was massive. Like, mm. and like you. What was it like to play in one? Like, what was the, the daytime? Like, how did it, what was your plans? Like, obviously, you had to wear suits and stuff. Well, gosh, again, I mean, there's so much. Uh, I mean, first of all, like you, it was my dream. I mean, I think we all watched with our brothers and our, our, our dad or whatever and watched the FA Cup final and went outside and kicked the ball around. So, I mean, talk about like, you know, in, in some ways, the best day of my life in football, my football career, but also the worst. Wow, there's, I mean, first of all, the game. Um, I, 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 my knee was was giving me some trouble, and I blew out my cartilage in the knee, so I only lasted like twenty minutes or something. Yeah. I think Ravanelli came off as well. We weren't very good. We lost to Chelsea, um, but you talk about suits. So we got relegated that season, and there was a lot of talk about who's going to go, who's going to stay. And I think Ravanelli, maybe Janino, talked about you know they they weren't going to stay. And Neil Cox did an interview with the tabloids that I think it was the one of the tabloids released the interview the morning of the cup final. And in the interview, Cox had said, I don't think Ravenelli and them should play in the cup final. They said they don't want to be here. They want to leave after relegation. They shouldn't play. So, of course, Ravenelli wakes up on the morning of the cup final, reads it, and wants to fight Coxie. So <laughs> we're literally in our Armani suits with our Armani sunglasses for our team uh, picture just about to get on the bus and go to Wembley and 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 Ravenelli's you know on the back row trying to get of coxing you this and all this so talk about an awful you know team spirit going into that game so it, the relegation we had so many games at the end of that season because of the the cup runs that we've been we got in both cup finals we had yeah. so many games you know, playing Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I mean, it's just crazy. That's why we went down at the end of the night of games. But so the cup finals were amazing. Wembley way, the Middlesbrough fans. I mean, we'd already seen it before in the League Cup final against Leicester earlier on. Unlucky um, in that game as well. Oh, right at the end, wasn't it? Right at the I end. Right. prior to coming on. Um, yeah. So unlucky. Yeah. It was unlucky at all, to be fair, but that was the most, I mean, it was the closest yeah. to winning it. Closest, yeah. Ravenley scored. I remember pulling somebody out of the way so his free kick or shot went through. And then Heskey bundled the ball over in the last kind of couple of minutes, wasn't it? So that that broke all our hearts, really, in the middle of the fans, because that had been the first major trophy 
Um, but the FA Cup final was special. You know, walking out there with all the flares going, all the family up on the stands on the right-hand side when you walk through. I mean, it was a special moment, an incredible moment. Um, but again, it was a nightmare injury. I remember that night we had booked out the the Grosvenor Hotel ballroom for, a, for of course, it was a miserable uh, night. My knee was killing me. I remember being in pain all night. Um, so yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't swap it for anything to play in there. And, and you know what gets me a little bit as well, you know. So I've got, I've got um, three runners-up medals from two League Cup finals and one FA Cup final. I've got a championship winners' medal. But the three of those are all runners-up medals, and, and, and it and it frustrates me when sometimes you see or hear big-time players say, "Well, I don't, I don't care about my runners-up. Maybe he wants a runners-up medal. Likes for losers, or you know, I've got my winners' medals." Well, actually, I love my runners-up medals. I wouldn't yeah, give yeah. that away. If I wouldn't. I mean, I'm, I'm displaying them here. I mean, to play in three Wembley Cup finals, I mean, that's pretty great. And even though we yeah, lost yeah. them, Agreed. you know, I. I yeah, I, I think it's marvellous to do it. And uh, the FA Cup final, wow. I mean, yeah, just a nightmare game, but so special to be, to say I played an FA Cup final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you find the FA Cup now is, well, it's definitely lost that magic behind it. Do you think the FA are quite culpable for the way that they've used the FA Cup now? It's been sort of pushed aside to like a mid, late season, end opposed to the end of the season. Before when the FA Cup final, we spoke about on one of the earlier podcasts, well, the FA Cup was a final was a day. It was a, it was a weekend build up. It was you know getting yeah. to the final, getting to Wembley as the final, not you know playing at Villa Park or uh, uh, Merseyside anywhere. There was a semi final, and now you you know the games in the next couple of weeks they're going to be at Wembley. Do you think they've made a mistake with the FA Cup? Yeah, I don't like the I don't like the semi finals being at Wembley. Don't like it. Absolutely don't like it. I know I know they're trying to claw back some revenue from the stadium build and all that, but it's not the same, is it? No, I mean, the, the no. Wembley Cup final, is, is, it should be the Cup final. So I don't like it. It's not as fair on fans as well from some of the Northern teams that got to travel down to London. I think we played one at Villa Park was one. Old Trafford might have been another one. Uh, I remember playing. I remember the Hillsborough as well, didn't they play? They used to play at Hillsborough. Was it Hillsborough? Yeah, we've lost a replay there. I, I can't remember. Um, but no, I don't like that. And, and maybe it is sad about the FA Cup now, isn't it? But I, I think... How much of that's the FA's fault? I'm not sure. I mean, the, the Premier League has been so successful and there's so much money involved that that's become more important, isn't it? We've all seen that. Now clubs are more worried about you know, staying in the Premier League or the Champions League. There's just other things that, that's been prioritised by clubs more than the FA Cup. And it's such a, it's such a shame because I'll tell you what, I bet the people of our age, you know, I, I mean... They, they must they must love a, I mean who doesn't love an FA Cup final and a cup final yeah, and going yeah. with your buddies and getting bust down there and all that I mean it's such a shame it's nowhere near as it was and the game misses that the game misses it and it's you know I don't know what the answer is if there is an answer uh, you know you're going to get I bet they're going to start getting pushed in more midweek I, I I just yeah I think it's you know top four now is more important than, than winning an FA Cup I guess for finances and for money so that's that's been sad on it in a way. I mean, we all love the Premier League and it's been it's an amazing product, but it's absolutely to the detriment of the FA Cup. Um, though it's not as seen as as glamorous and as God blimey, which is such a shame because it's such a great day out. And I bet the fans, I mean, I mean, if the fans would they I mean they all want to see their team play in the Champions League, but a, a day out in the FA Cup final, I mean, Arsenal, you just you know, you you recently yeah. had it. I mean, bloody brilliant, and it's brilliant days out. Brilliant, yeah, absolutely. Uh, England. You never got a call up. Did you ever find that? Because I've looked back at your career and the players you ran. Obviously, there was a lot of good players, but what you did was quite not unique. But you're very good at what you did. Did you ever look back or get close to getting called up, or think, you know, what? Why have I not been called up? Yeah, I, I never thought that. Why have I not been called up? But there was a moment in in time where I remember Brian Robson uh, talked about it to the media. I think I was ahead of some charts, some interceptions or tackles in the Premier League or something around that time. And it, and I think he asked a question. Uh, so that was the only time. And at that time, the midfield for England was, I think it was like David Batty, Carlton Palmer, um, was that Jeff Thomas or, or was it? Jeff Thomas period? is there, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was those guys in midfield. So, so eh, maybe, I mean, I like David Batty as a player. I thought Carlton Palmer was bloody awkward to play against, but that's, you know, that period of time there where maybe there wasn't a, a, a plethora of brilliant central midfield players. Maybe I might have got a sniff, but no. I mean, I, I that's the only kind of time I got on England. It's funny because I've because we've moved house recently, 
I'm just doing out like my downstairs, like we have basements here. So on the way down to my basement, I've got pictures of all my football shirts, a lot of stuff. And my, I've just got out my England under 21. I made the England under 21 squad once. My next at that point, <laughs> oh, was it? Sorry, yeah. So at that oh, point, I was at Oxford. I was at Oxford United. Yeah. And I was doing well for Oxford. And um, I think somebody pulled out the squad or something and I got drafted in. And I didn't get on the field, which is bloody annoying because I, so I didn't get a cap. But I did get my shirt and we've just, my wife actually just got the ticket, the match ticket, which is seven pounds against getting, I think it's the country <laughs> against Scott, uh, Sweden. Um, and I've just got my shirt framed with a little ticket and a little, like a little headline from the newspaper. So something like that's great. I mean, bloody hell to represent your country. And I, and I, and I, you know, I didn't play, but I, that's why, who was I speaking to the other day? So part of the two Robbies and part of NBC's connections, we had, um we did a Zoom Cool. You can find it. It'll be on the Two Robbies podcast. It'll be on NBC Sports YouTube channel. We sat down with Declan Rice, and um, it was only last week, and we was talking to Declan Rice about. Uh, I think I threw the question to him. You know, just give us like for somebody who never did it, and you know, what what what's it feel like to represent your country? And and he was, he was all over it. He had a, he had a great answer. You know, it means everything. Love it. So I think. I can I can only imagine how proud you must be to play for England, and and I I never did, and it's not something I look back with any regret or anything because it's tough, isn't it? Blimey, it's tough to to play for England, um, but but Declan Rice for one is somebody who appreciates it, loves it, uh, savors it, and that's great. And I and I got my little under twenty one shirt now, and is my little gallery of of cup final shirts. I got one here. That's one. It's the, that's the FA Cup final shirt <laughs> yeah. right there. That's the actual <laughs> one. Um, which is right behind up in my little office here. So, yeah, England, nah, pr- probably, you know, no big complaints there that I didn't play for them. Uh, it's pretty you hard to get in that team. Declan Rice um, and said how how like how prior he was to play for England. We spoke, I think we spoke on one of our podcasts, maybe oh. last week or the week before, and we said, um, obviously, in your area, like, we believe that everyone wanted to play for England. Um, mm. Do you think, like, early 2000, like 2010, that... That was kind of taken away. People wasn't playing like they didn't really care about playing for England as much. Like we were, Ferguson was asking people not to train. Oh well, only play forty five minutes. Do you think they lost a little bit of it? And Southgate's restored that. I think Southgate's restored it. I mean, talk of all the players that I played with. I haven't talked about him. Gareth Southgate was my was my room partner for one season, so we talked football constantly. I mean, absolutely. And if we whether what you guys think about Gareth Southgate. The nicest, the smartest, the most proud guy that you're going to get as well, England no, we, manager. We actually said that we think that him oh. coming to England in a couple of yeah. years ago he's actually brought a bit of pride back yeah. to the national team. In our opinions, yeah, I think I think where where that might have dropped off, right? And and, and you guys know as much as me probably, but there's so much criticism, so much media scrutiny, and hammer from the tabloids yeah. that maybe some of the England players like were fed up with it and I suppose it's like anything in it it's, it's all right for me to say that I'd, I'd flip and kill to play for England if you're playing for them every time and it becomes more normal for you yeah maybe you start to get fed up with playing or not want to go which is incredibly sad but maybe it's just human behavior after a little while um I don't know I mean I can't I, I can't answer that can I because no, yeah. I'm not in that situation but it would be blimmin sad if there's anything taken away from their feelings towards England. But I think you have a point. You have a point because of, of um, tournaments. And I'm the biggest England fan in the world. Like, and they broke our heart many times. And this last World Cup, I'm like, they're not, I'm not going to get sucked in this time. I'm not, you know, we're not going to, I know what's going to happen. We're going to be technically not good enough at a certain level. But then, of course, it goes on and it goes on. And I'm fully in them. I'm like, oh, God, we can, we can, you know. And again, it happens again, like where Croatia, they, you know. So uh, sadly, I, I think I think you're right, and I think there was an edge taken away from England. But I think, yeah, if there's one person, Gareth Southgate, that probably before in every meeting or every training session or every game is going to say what it means to to play for England, he's the guy. Let's just you know, let's hope that you know the Euros. Um, I know there's going to be a clamour to play a lot of these attacking players that we have now, um, and I get that, and I, I'm excited to see it. But we all should realise the importance of balance in a team, and yeah. I think he's more on the pragmatic, more balanced side of things to try and win a tournament. And I don't know. We'll see how he goes. Um, but what's good news is there's a lot of good young English players coming oh, through. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Obviously, you played against Gascoigne. He, he turned, you went left and right and he 
football. Yeah. Who was one of the hardest players that you played against in the Premier League who you absolutely hated playing against? Um, well, I think the the hardest, wow. Uh, I think Roy Keane. Roy Keane is my shout for the best midfield player I played against. Yeah. Roy Keane. Because, uh, and I played against all of that era, I played against all of them. Patrick yeah. Vieira, Petit, all those guys. And the difference between Petit and Vieira, uh, uh, Vieira and Keane is... Keen for me, in my experience, I've played against him quite a few times. Keen had a an influence on his team that Vieira didn't have at Arsenal. Vieira was incredible, and maybe in terms of raw talent ability, probably had it over Roy Keane. But I played against Roy Keane once at, at the Riverside when we were winning the game one nil. And I looked around. There's only about twenty minutes to go, and I look at. I mean, he's getting more angry and angry, and, and I'm thinking, we're going to win this. They're done. They're, they're, they've kind of their their heads are down there, and he got more angry and then he exploded, and he went round several players hammering them, and he literally pulled that team up by himself to come back and I I think they beat us I think it might have been Skull's goal but they came back and got a result, and I'm like afterwards I'm like we had them it's one person that did that one person that did you know made that that turnaround. Um, I remember playing against Roy Keane for Forest when he was a, he, he played in different positions. He was a brilliant player, Roy Keane. Yeah, yeah. You know, this all this this kind of modern talk about he wasn't that technical, he wasn't that. Oh, he was. thank you. He's a, yeah, Absolutely. he's a brilliant. He, he was a brilliant footballer, brilliant footballer, decision maker, tough. So I, I always think as a midfield player, Roy Keane wins. Um, and I guess he probably ticks the hardest box as well. Um, you know, being a, 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 a tough a tough character, you don't really want to get too angry. Um, big Duncan Ferguson was a nightmare in terms of toughies to play against. Don't want to get him too angry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Robson, used, Robson used to say to the centre backs, "Just don't get don't get him angry because he's a, he's such a better player when he was angry and fired up and, and growling and shouting on the field." Um, Carlton Palmer was an awkward player because he's so bloody tall and knees yeah. and elbows. You get bangs from him all the time. Um, but Roy Keane and, and Vieira. I guess were the stars in in that position in my era, but Roy Keane wins. Adam Miller, you're not here today, but um, you've heard it from the horse's mouth. Roy Keane, yeah. a player. Can I, can I just ask one more one more thing, Paul? Yeah, uh, we uh, Robbie, we had Raw Fox on last week. Um, do you have any memories of playing in any games against him? Um, Newcastle uh, period, I think, a time, but no, he, he. I remember him a time. I remember what he did. He wasn't near me. So I didn't have to worry about him. He's he's on a winger. He he'd given <laughs> Curtis Fleming and some of our defenders some uh, problems. And what a skillful player he was, wasn't he? Skillful. Player. In terms of um, uh, yeah, I'm my questions. We had one relegation. Just we'll go that briefly. Mm. I want to just say some of the players, and you know this anyway. But just for the listeners, you know, in that 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 team, Ravinelli, yourself, Emerson, Janino. Did you think, no matter how bad it got, did you think? We ain't going down. No, it, uh, rather well, than well, like, you, you know, the, you know the story, Paul, behind this. Yeah, like the three points deducted. Yeah. So that that relegation, it's not on my record. It's not me. We we had enough points to stay in a division. We went down by two points. We got three points deducted. So of course, what a difficult season, by the way. When you get so far in the cup of competitions with a we had enough big squad. Well, that's what I was going to say. Squads must be they're massive now. So obviously. Yeah, very different. And we and we listen, we didn't play, we weren't great in the Premier League, but we got to two cup finals and we had all these games at the end. But we got almost guaranteed from our football club that we get those three points back on appeal. And when they didn't come back late, it was super deflating. And we just couldn't we couldn't get out of trouble. But but again, I, I didn't get relegated. I I mean it wasn't my call, it was a bad decision for those who don't know, maybe some of the, the listeners or viewers or whatever. We we had a, a virus going through the club with injuries, and we couldn't field a team away at Blackburn Rovers. And our the club's understanding was that the Premier League were okay with it. Um, that was obviously very false. We got they're like, well, you can't do that. Um, and and the sad thing is, we could have put a team out. You could play some young players. We could have gone to Blackburn and lost ten nil and stayed in the division. So it was a terrible decision by the football club. We got penalised for three points. We we hired this big QC to try and get the three points back again. That failed, and we couldn't make up the we couldn't make up the points, and we got relegated to the championship. We bounced straight back again under Brian Robson, um, but that's where the frustration was. There, it was the three points that, that got us relegated, and, and not what we did on the field. Do you think 
when when you know you're going down and you're hearing the stories of Ravinelli Jr., that these foreign influx of players then go, well, we're, we're gonna we're gonna go now. How did that feel through the squad? Did you feel a bit like, oh, hold on a second, we're in this together as a team? How how was that reaction, you know, from the squad? Well, it's, it's interesting because I think for most, I think it's everybody's individual. So every everything's everything's individual. From in my point of view, I kind of understood it. I understood it for Janino, and I had less issue of Janino doing it because he was he was a brilliant player and a brilliant human being, and he did great for us. And he gave everything. He cried on the last day. Alan Robo relegated at least. He's on the field of play. I mean, he was amazing for us. So for him to move on, I think he went to Atletico Madrid. I don't feel bad about that. Ravanelli was 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 a little different. He was less popular with the squad, and that's going back to the Neil Cox interview where he's like, "Well, this is not fair." And he so it upset a few of them. But for me, I don't know. I didn't I didn't let that bother me. I mean, it was the likes of me and Vickers and Fleming and all that. I think Big Dina, Brian Dean came and and we signed obviously Merson, Hignett. We all stayed there and bounced back up again. So it's kind of back to us to get them back up again, which is not easy to do, as we know. So. But I didn't. I didn't have a big problem with it. I mean, I, I'm not gonna. I would never. I ever said like, you know, they were a disgrace. They should have stuck with us because it's not the reality. I mean, Ravinelli was a flipping score the Champions League goal a couple of seasons before or whatever. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't a big issue for me. But some of the boys were upset about it. Um, but like I said, we we made a few good signings and, and bounced back up straight away anyway. Well, just moving on briefly to Charlton. Then you had a brief in the Charlton, then finished off at Sheffield Wednesday. How how did that come around? Well, I, I um, yeah, Derby County. I was going to go to Derby County. Derby County said to me, John Gregory, I want you at Derby. And Middlesbrough only offer you one year contract. I'm going to give you two year contract. And I'd been there for 12 years in Middlesbrough. And Steve McLaren was like, well, I can't really give you two years, you know, one year. Is... And I, I mean, I was, what was I there? 33 or something? I mean, I was old. He was friends with Steve McLaren prior to McLaren coming at Borough. That's right. You had a little bit of a side hustle at Oxford, if, I, if, I'm, if, I, if that's correct. You, you have done your, your research, incredible research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. We had a we were, Ox, we were teammates at Oxford, and we yeah, I just we did a we had a little silly little business of buying. We went down to um, oh, the south coast somewhere, Farnborough, and we bought tracksuits and training shoes. We sold it to the lads and family because I was from the area, and we were doing great. And then I get my move to Middlesbrough, and then we like, well, we can't do it now. And it's so so funny, God. I mean, honestly, the stories I could tell you. Um, of course, our, our careers went separate parts. I got to Middlesbrough as a player. He finishes at Oxford, starts getting into coaching. I think he started at Derby County. And I might see him, you know, on the pitch and he's warm at the boys. And I'm like, oh, Steve, how you doing? Brilliant. Like, you're doing well. Okay, yeah, good. And uh, go away again. Then he gets a job at Man United. Come back against Man United. Bloody hell, Steve. Amazing. Like, you're doing great. Go away again. Come back next time Man United. Oh, you're, you're assistant coach in England now. Fantastic. Amazing. Great. Then one summer, phone goes. Phone goes in my, in my house. And he um, says, Steve McLaren, wow, brilliant. You know, how are you doing? And small talk. I'm going to be your manager at Middlesbrough. I'm like, oh, wow, great. Like, this is great for us. It'd be great for you. So we've got a great stadium and a brilliant owner. There'd be money and stuff like that. And we had this, this long conversation. And um, at the end of the conversation, I say, okay, yep, all right, um, yep, cheers. Um, all right, Steve, yep, bye-bye. Like, put the phone down. And uh, the phone goes again straight away. And he said, oh, Robbie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Gaffer now. And I'm like, well, yeah, all right, of course. Put the phone down. I thought, what a strange thing to say. What a strange thing to say. And I had to, so we go back to pre-season training. And of course, we have, we have a real history of Oxford, of this little business and playing together and stuff and having fun times. I remember going out and have a few beers and all that. He, I guess he drew a line. Right there, he drew a line with any previous life that we had together, maybe from a professional point of view. And he never spoke to me at any time when I was in Middlesbrough for that, I think it was just one season. Uh, never spoke, never talked about old days, which I thought was was weird. And I didn't like it. I mean, I, had to, I actually did force a way into his team. I had a really good season with Paul Ince in the middle of midfield. We played a 4-4-2 or close to it. I think Benito Carboni, Boxic, good team. Loved that last season with him. Um, but he never, he never kind of let on about our old times. So I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I've seen him since. I think I just, I have mixed feelings now because I, I should, you should never like old friendship should never be pushed. I mean, if it was me, 
you know, I might pull him in one time in my office, say, God, remember the, remember those times back then? And, and I don't know. So th- th- I thought that was a bit strange, but it was a good season um, with Steve McLaren. I think, I think that's McLaren. I think from, again, I can only, I'm not in the game, but reading things and speaking to people I do know, I think man management was, was yeah. pretty poor from speaking yeah. different things. I think he had, I think yeah. as a coach, and there's the thing, Number two doesn't make a good number one. I think that's history has proven that it's very rare you can take the step up. And man management is one of the the most important things in football. And you see it with Jose now. He had that cycle where everyone would run for, as you said, with with Brian Robson, run for a brick wall for him. And Mourinho had that in his earlier career. But now he's just fighting with everyone. It's just this whole. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I find that quite weird. But I suppose for him it was like, right. I, I mean, I'm your gaffer now. There's no. There's no grey area. It's black and white. You mm. deal with it, and it and it it, it breaks friendships up. But mm. uh, that, that is sad. Um, you've been in the US now for uh, I think we said is it 14 years? Is that right in thinking? We said earlier on 15 years. I think 15, 15 years in August. Yeah. So the growth in the MLS. How, how have you found that? I mean, that's I, I was out there as I said. I know you two are going to laugh, but when I was out there coaching, women's football was massive. It was hum- it was ma- just br- brilliant. And anything mm. under 13, everyone plays soccer. Yeah, um, yeah, and it was it, it it tailed off at fourteen. It just fell down a cliff. But obviously, mm. that's changed now. What, how have you seen the growth being over there for this long? Well, I mean, in, so the, the, as you said, the the amount of kids that play soccer here is is unbelievable, incredible, and that's continued to to thrive. Now, MLS, I've, I've I worked one season MLS with NBC, so I worked for ESPN for five years doing um, co commentary and. Uh, from games from La Liga and Serie A, great and learning of different players. And I remember watching Herrera at Bilbao and, and Bielsa there. And I don't know, it's been a, it's, it's a great foundation of learning about players. Um, then I went to NBC and we had the, we had MLS for one season. MLS, so I, I'm not that clued in on everything current with MLS. It's expanding with teams, obviously. There's a lot of teams coming on, a lot of um, soccer-specific stadium. So they're just for, for football pitches and it's tight, great atmospheres. LAFC, I go and do a commentary game for them normally in the summer, outside the Premier League season. There's a lot of stadiums like that coming. So it, the expansion's there. Obviously, the league owns everything. So, you, you know, you have the playoffs, you don't have a promotion relegation, which is something that people here want. Um, but it's growing. And in general, you know, the Premier League is growing. You know, we've had the rights now for nearly eight years in total. And we are seeing a steady incline in, in interest and in ratings and numbers. And we do these fan fests where we have a, we go to like New York or we have to Miami and Austin, Texas. And we put, we do the shows live from these places, events, and all the fans come in. Brilliant. Really, really great. So that's, so it, it's really grown in that regard. Um, it's just not easy. I mean, as you know, there's so much here of college sports of professional sports of their all their major sports of hockey and baseball and basketball and nfl which is by far the biggest you know it's not easy for for people to get on the premier league bandwagon and soccer and you know the the old timers view is well you know soccer and you know it's there's not many goals and they dive and they flop as they say here so that there's there's a, there's a generation of people that we're not going to get but we are getting the younger ones and and ratings at the moment for most sports are going down because of viewing habits are different now with apps and phones and all that. But the Premier League has stayed pretty steady. We've said a, a pretty a nice little increase year after year. So it's growing. Um, I, I'm not sure it's ever going to, well, we'll never get to NFL standard. Um, the time zone difference, things like that, you see, are not, are not helpful. Though the Saturday and Sunday morning, you know, we call it my Premier League mornings, has got a bit of a destination but people are like, there isn't much else going on on Saturday, Sunday morning. We'll watch the Premier League. So that's grown in that regard. But yeah, I mean, MLS is, is, is in terms of teams and stadia is growing, but then you dilute the quality of the players. All these new teams, you know, who's going to play for them all? Um, Beckham now is going through it with Inter Miami, which is still a weird name for me. And Phil Neville is there. We had Phil Neville on our show a few times uh, for NBC. So it's great for him. Um, but yeah, so it's definitely growing. And, and you know, I've been lucky to take advantage of the growth of it and the broadcasting of it and all the rights now. I mean, you can see as many, you can see every game from every league here now, by the way. I mean, it's it's probably unmatched anywhere where you can see so much football on different platforms, which is changing. All this is changing, by the way. You, you know, I, I think the UK might, I know the apps and the, they call it over the top services here where you pay a subscription. Yeah. That's coming, that's really arrived here. Um, and it probably come at some point in England as well. 
Um, brilliant. Um, guys, any questions before we wrap this up? No, no, that's it. I've just, uh, just wanted to like to say uh, thanks for your time, Robbie, this evening. And I uh, hope your obviously your broadcasting continues and mm. you carries on doing well. So thanks very thanks, much. Mate. Yeah, thanks, mate. Anything to add? No, I'd just, just like to repeat what Lee said. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And listening to uh, all your stories and that, it's been amazing for us. So thank you very much. I'm just going to no finish problem, up mate. a quick fire round. First of all, did you know that your name is an anagram of I must be borrow? <laughs> is it? Yeah. Someone, <laughs> one of, I feel on the, on the fans' forums and they go, oh, can you tell him his anagram is I must be borrow? I must B-E-E-B-O-R-O. And I was like, so best manager you played under? Well, Venables. Best teammate. Oh, best teammate. Uh, probably Steve Vickers. Hardest opponent. I think we've gone over that, but hardest yeah. opponent. Yeah, I say Roy Keane. The craziest player you played with? Gaza. Who wins in a fight, Neil Cock or Ravinelli? <laughs> <laughs> probably Ravinelli. He was strong. He was strong. Yeah. Um, clean sheet, hard tackle or scoring. What gave you the biggest lift as a player? Scoring. Fantastic. <laughs> Robbie Muster, everybody. Everyone, thank you so much, Robbie. As we said, massive appreciation for giving us nearly an hour of your time. And hopefully, obviously, everyone wants to catch the two, Robbie, please check it out on podcast or Spotify. Really, really good. Um, thank you so much. And uh, we hope to see you again soon. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.